Welcome to Lamniforms Radio, a podcast where I interview musicians and artists about their latest projects. My name is Ian Corey, and I am the songwriter in the band Lamniforms. I love learning about an artist's process, their intentions, and who they are as people. Today I am joined by Amalia Soto, better known as the web artist Molly Soda. I wanted to have Molly on the show because of her most recent project, Keeping Tabs, where she attempts to break out of the web's social media hegemony and surf towards less visited parts of the internet. One of the key themes to the series is the way that the mobile phone has completely changed the way that the internet works, which resonated with me because of the way that the mobile phone has impacted music consumption. I was delighted to have Molly on to talk about these topics, internet archiving, and her art practice in general. Thank you for listening. So yeah, you know, I usually talk to musicians or writers that write about music. Mm -hmm. So this is like a a, a bit different than my usual uh, approach, but I think that it's a lot of stuff that you've covered in Keeping Tabs that I think is like, super relevant to music culture in its own way just like sort of like it's an interesting parallel Mm -hmm. uh, just because i feel like so much of music culture exists primarily online oh yeah and the way that like the internet shapes online communities i think has also had like a similar effect on music culture as it has to like internet culture writ large Mm -hmm. so I might jump in with a lot of like analogies and whatnot, just sort of say like, oh, that's interesting that you brought this up because that means that I see this like parallel in music mm-hmm. as well. So I'll, I'll try not to be too obnoxious about that. Oh, no, that's fine. That's just sort of where my head's at. I like knowing about that sort of stuff, too, because I'm like, I'm obviously looking at trends on the Internet from like my very narrow perspective and like the way that I spend time or grew up on the internet is is similar to I guess a lot of people's experiences like I'm always really pleasantly surprised uh whenever there's a new keeping tabs episode and people are in the chat like contributing like their own memories I I, Mm -hmm. I guess like I mean it's interesting because lately a lot of the episodes have been about sort of defunct platforms or defunct tools online and obviously that stuff is really inviting to people to like reminisce about because everyone has their own association with that thing which is a little different than talking about current platforms or newer forms of media I guess. Was that something that you deliberately wanted to focus the series on when you got it started or did you just kind of stumble into that? I mean, I think my work all revolves around that. I mean, my work revolves around the internet in lot in lots of ways, but uh, whether it's being all the work is housed on the internet, but it's also using like the symbols of the internet and the language of the internet. But I also am someone that grew up on the internet, so I find myself going back and trying to pay attention to those older things. I think the problem with that can sometimes be that it falls into a bit of a nostalgia trap, which I try and avoid, but I don't know how successfully you can avoid that when you're talking about things that you did when you were a tween or a teenager online. Cause I guess like I try and make a concerted effort to not just be like, Oh, remember this, like, remember that this thing happened. And I try and at least weave it into like, what that means about uh, the internet now or like how that has shaped trends or current internet usage or whatever, or our personalities even. Um, But it it can be difficult to approach that sort of subject matter. What makes you want to avoid that nostalgia trap? Like what about that kind of content do you want to avoid i i just think that i don't want the content that i'm making to solely be about that i guess i i'm thinking about it from like a larger longer scope i would hope but i think that sometimes when you do 
work or talk about things that people have nostalgia for may it sometimes can get reduced to that if that makes sense mm -hmm. so like you know if i talk about my space which is a fully, which also is very important in terms of music community, as you were saying earlier, is is a fully, like, is it a very important website, but then we're like, oh, wasn't it funny that we just, like, posted selfies on there and, like, we're cringe? You, do you know what I'm saying? Right. It, it, to me, it's, it seems a lot like when we were growing up, there was a lot of like Gen X reminiscence of the eighties yeah. in culture. Like if you think about like, I don't know why this is the example that comes to mind, but family guy, like how much <laughs> the, like pop culture references and cutaway jokes were all just like eighties shit. Right. And it felt like exhausting to be like, like pummeled with stuff that had like pretty much zero relevance to like our lived experience. Mm -hmm. And so I could see why, you wouldn't want someone younger than us viewing your work and only thinking of it as like millennial nostalgia for the early internet, you know? Exactly. Because I think, I think it, I mean, and, and that's why I try and not only focus my work on that. Like I would say that that's an aspect of my work because I'm obsessed with archives and I'm obsessed with archiving the internet. Um, obviously mm -hmm. it's a big task. So I'm only really obsessed with archiving my, my personal experience like relationship to the internet also because i was someone that was so public online at such an early age it's been hard and easy to kind of go back and try and parse through that stuff just because it it's not super functional anymore but i think that the basic like i don't know the like things are so cyclical it's just like thinking about like thinking about how like I was a teenager online like yes like the platforms were different and the things were different but it like teen like whenever I look at TikTok for example like I feel comforted in knowing that teenagers are literally exactly the same mm -hmm. like yeah. the the clothing might be different and the trends might be slightly different but like they're like the sentiment is still there or like that like raw sort of just like uninterrupted energy and like need for like dumping and not really thinking of like I never thought about like the consequences of anything that I did when I was a teenager I was never like what is this gonna look like later like I, mm -hmm. I would just think like this is makes me feel good right now and like this is what I need and of course I think probably teenagers now are probably much better at self-censoring because they understand how much the internet can, I guess, like, create opportunities for you or, like, create... I'm just thinking about how, like, when we grew up online, also, like, there was no sense of, like, branding. Mm -hmm. Like, there was, there was, like, a little bit but not really like you could be internet famous like but you had to be like tila tequila you know what i mean yeah. like like you had to and and even that was still a little bit niche and so it's interesting that now like people that's like what people want to do for a living is like be a youtuber or like be a live streamer or be tiktok mm -hmm. famous and like that concept like didn't exist you know, 15 years ago. Yeah. It's interesting thinking about like, we have a, a mutual friend who's been watching a lot of the Jersey shore. Uh, mm -hmm. He's been on the podcast, Frank. Um, and <laughs> those were just like early influencers, basically right. they were like, like MySpace famous. And there's just this whole like generation of people that kind of had to be cringe. So the next generation could run. You know? Yeah, exactly. So that they could do it better. Um, mm -hmm. and, and it, it's, it's so, so interesting, but it's also, it's, it's weird. I mean, it's comforting, I guess, in some ways to know that teenagers are the same, but it's also weird to think about teenagers, like making all these business decisions about them themselves. Right. I, in some ways, you know, when I think about like the, the music industry in that light, the way that like it just sort of hoovers up young people that don't know what they're doing. Oh Yeah. Like, puts them into like pretty ex exploitative situations a lot of the time. The fact that like maybe this next generation of kids on the internet have like 
more business savvy and more the ability to like manage their own brand is maybe a good thing in comparison to like them being like staged managed by their parents or like Mm -hmm. family members that are gonna take all their publishing or whatever the usual story is you know yeah no that that makes sense i still think there's plenty of room for young people to get taken advantage of but i i do wonder i mean i don't know it's i definitely like didn't know what i was doing when i was like starting out or or anything and it's interesting that like if i had been born into a different a later decade i wonder like what my trajectory would have been versus like me just blogging casual like casually and like doing that sort of thing do you think of yourself as having like a demarcation point between you just being yourself on the internet versus and I know that that's like a loaded concept to mm-hmm. begin with, uh, but do you do you see that there being a dividing point between that and doing your like art and like cr- like the creative side of the internet, or is it pretty much seamless across the board? I wouldn't say that it's seamless necessarily. I used to play with that a little bit more when I was first kind of starting to figure out what I even wanted to do with my art practice, like. I mean, I was just having a lot of fun, honestly, back in the, I guess, like, I probably started seriously making art in, like, 2010, and back then I was just, like, dumping stuff, and it was the first time I started going by Molly Soda, and and it was, was like, the first time that I was getting any real traction with strangers online. Like, I mean, I'd had experiences with strangers online you know, growing up, but it was at a much smaller scale. And so I think I was playing with that performance a little bit more back then. And then over time, that like wasn't as interesting to me. Like, I think that now I feel like, like, for example, like my Instagram isn't my art. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and maybe I would have said that it was a long time ago. But at this point, I feel like I feel really detached from like, like when I first started out, I was really into posting a bunch of stuff on like every platform. Like I was posting like a video a day on Facebook back in the day. I was like and then eventually moved to and then Facebook deleted my account for that for some reason. And then which is I crazy because I feel like it's so hard to get rid of a Facebook account. But anyway, and then I like started moving to YouTube and on Tumblr and on Instagram and on Twitter. Like I was, I was, it was sort of a, I don't think people knew how to read what I was doing. And also all those platforms have different audiences. So everyone's approaching what you're doing in a very different way because there are different like access points for that. Because for example, like Facebook might be people, you know, in real life or might've been, um, or family members or that sort of thing. And then Tumblr had, was a little more anonymous in the sense that you don't have to attach like your face to anything necessarily, even though I was, but just all different, all these platforms were different access points. So it was interesting sort of seeing the way that someone would react to a video who either A, knew me, B, knew me from online, or C, was completely stumbling into it. But now I would say that the only place I'm really still doing that is YouTube, because it feels like the most anonymous place for me, I guess. Why is that, do you think? Because I don't follow anyone that I know. Like, I'm Mm. I'm a complete voyeur on YouTube, and... Also, YouTube is a big search engine. So the the access point on YouTube is very different than, say, Instagram, where like you probably have to know who I am or at least have seen me with someone else that you follow or or that sort of thing versus YouTube where you could just Google, like you not Google, you could YouTube search well, whatever. Well, Google owns YouTube, you basically are Google. Exactly, you know? yeah. So, oh, that's so interesting. I guess Google does own YouTube. I didn't even like think about that, but yeah. So I think I like YouTube because it's, 
it feels more free, I guess. Hmm. And I like, I like the, I like the comments. I don't know. I like, I like jumping on YouTube just because it feels like it's a better sense of how people are actually perceiving me or the work that I'm doing versus people that know me or have some sort of background information on me or already have their, like, it's like getting everyone's first impression, if that makes sense. Mm. Right. Cause it, it, despite there being like a social component to YouTube, it still feels like the point of the website is the videos that are uploaded to it. Absolutely. Whereas something like Instagram has, or Twitter, which are the only two platforms that I use anymore, mm-hmm. have like the parasocial kind of thing where like, you're supposed to have the sense that you actually know this person and interact with them outside of just like, the idea that someone could make a video and the video stands alone from the person who made it to a higher degree than the way a tweet would, mm-hmm. for, for example. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it doesn't have to be – like, you can just watch one video and be on your way. Obviously, YouTubers make livings off of their personalities and their aspirational whatever it is that they, they are wielding, um, and that's not necessarily what I'm – doing uh i don't post frequently enough for that and i don't really vlog or do any of that sort of style of stuff it's more just a place for me to host because i do make a lot of web-based work and instead of it's just important for my work to be accessible and easy to find and so it's i just dump it there generally speaking obviously keeping tabs is on eternal and I use other platforms too, but for anything that doesn't have a home, it just goes on YouTube and, you know, I let it live there forever and see, Mm -hmm. see what happens. Do you view the thing about the modern internet to me is like so much of it is like, you know, like as a writer, the fact that I have like a Substack, Substack Mm -hmm. has like a specific aesthetic and look to it that kind of defines how you can use it to some extent. So when you're uploading and using YouTube as like a hosting space, do you feel like you have to either conform or like deal with the aesthetic limitations of YouTube itself at all? Yes. And I feel that way about every platform pretty much because nothing is customizable anymore. And I find that to be very boring. I find, I mean, YouTube has a lot of limitations because you're also... I don't understand how the YouTube algorithm works in terms of like suggested videos and how to get people to watch your videos and whatever. But, but I I'm okay with that because the work itself that I'm putting on there has probably been shown in the way that I wanted it to be shown somewhere else or in another way, or, you know, YouTube is also something that's really easily embeddable into a different page that you can format yourself so if that were really important to me i would just find a workaround for that but i don't mind i mean i like using these platforms because i like watching them change over time like i like Mm -hmm. the i like the interfaces and the evolution of the interface and i also like the i mean i like and i don't like this but i like the riskiness of dumping something somewhere where you actually ultimately don't have any control over it and i know that obviously i still own these videos but i think about how much of our lives we put on these platforms and how much of like our personal lives like wedding photos baby photos family photos whatever like content that is deeply personal like do even people even have photo albums anymore like i feel like Mm. everything is just uploaded somewhere wherever that may be and i also wonder like if you don't take the effort to archive that stuff or back it up or whatever what happens when like instagram could just be gone tomorrow it's not going to be but it could and like there's no recourse for that the same way myspace like pretty much got wiped overnight and there was 
nothing that anyone could really do. Right. I think about the amount of music that just got mm-hmm. wiped off the face of the earth mm-hmm. then because like even when they did like the the MySpace relaunch, I'm pretty sure all of the old music that got uploaded there was still there. It, right. And there was no like warning sent out to the content owners, like the people who no. had the rights to that stuff because why like how could they? Like mm-hmm. how many people had just moved on in their lives and never checked that MySpace again? And now it's gone. And yeah. Like we, we will, we actually don't know how much we lost, which is like maybe the most like unfathomable. That's like the scariest part of it to me is like not even like being able to put a number on the amount of material that's missing. Like if you can't even know that it's missing, was it ever really there? Right. Right. Yeah. And I know that there were some ar- archival efforts made to like, I'm sure the internet archive did something to try and, get back up some of that stuff but i mean obviously it was probably such a small amount of music that was actually saved by the archive team and yeah it's it's pretty messed up and i think probably a lot of people the sad thing is that a lot of people just don't care like Mm -hmm. i feel like i care so much about online archives because people don't know what to do with with this stuff like people don't know what to do with the internet they really don't like and they don't think of like everything is online now so like what does that mean for like historians like do you know what i'm saying like i actually read this book about internet archiving that was written for historians and i found it so interesting because i had never even thought about that because i'm not a historian obviously but i'd never thought about how like there is so much to be synthesized like online that we take for granted. And then like when MySpace deletes the music, you're like, oh good, like my band sucked. Or like, I like, I don't want that around anyway. Like I forgot the password to my MySpace or my email so I couldn't delete it. Like so many people don't care because they're just like, well, I don't use that anymore or it doesn't matter or I find it embarrassing. And it's always that sweet spot where people still find it embarrassing before it becomes nostalgic that stuff gets wiped. When did you start getting interested in internet archiving? Probably, hmm, probably like five years ago, I started getting more interested in it because I was, I was trying to make work actually about my early interactions with the internet, like about, because I was a very heavy blogger, like, super into Zanga and LiveJournal and those platforms. And then eventually, and like I was, I posted on like Flickr, I used DeviantArt, I used everything. I used Last.fm, like all of these platforms that like, and I was trying to go back to all these old accounts and like dig up what I could find because I didn't keep diaries and I didn't keep any of this stuff like documented in any real way I just put it all online and it was so hard for me to find anything like I could find you know my well first of all like Zanga by the time I started looking for my old Zanga it it was gone and so I had to do all this like trying to figure out how to like upload my old Zanga contents to a WordPress thing so that I could even read it but like it's so interesting because everything that I kept running into was just reduced to text. Like all of my images were broken. Like the comments were all like jumbled. Like the design, like any of the layouts that I had made were completely gone. And so all I had left was just like these text files essentially of like all of these platforms that I was using. And that doesn't really encapsulate like the richness of any of those platforms or what they were like to use or aesthetically what was even going on. And so Mm -hmm. I started, I became obsessed with it and I was just like, I have to, so then I became obsessed with like recreating these archives based out of what I could gather and sort of like piecing it together from memory and then from whatever like I could find online that led me to anything and then that kind of led to like I made a I ended up making a video game about that as well and that sort of led into bled into like keeping tabs as well because initially 
when I was thinking about doing this web series, I was like, I, I just feel like it's not done yet. Like my interest in that is not done. I would say it's not my primary mode of art making, but it is one aspect of the work that I do that that I'm interested in just because I feel like a lot of, there are a lot of great organizations and like people doing the work of archiving stuff, but I guess I'm trying to archive stuff for myself. And also because I know that maybe not a lot of people my age are super interested in that. It's interesting that everything gets reduced to text eventually, because I feel this is like a pet theory of mine. Um, and I'd be interested to hear your perspective on it is that I feel like the internet is gradually moving from text to image to video. Mm-hmm. Like that's the arc of, of any particular platform. So like Twitter used to only be text. Then they started adding video uh, mm-hmm. pictures and then video. And I feel like you can even see it working in reverse. Like I think Instagram is dying because it's becoming text-based instead mm-hmm. of image-based over time. Am I off base here? No, think? I think, well, text is the most stable. So like mm-hmm. even thinking about web design, like I'm not a web designer by any means, but the most stable websites that will look the same over time as things change are the least flashy with, with just text and like simple code. Like think mm-hmm. about how flash uh was so uh ubiquitous as a design tool in the early 2000s late 90s early 2000s and now well first of all we can't access flash stuff anymore but even prior to that i couldn't find a website that was built on flash anymore but it was like the standard for a really long time that obviously would couldn't age well and so it's interesting Mm -hmm. that like we have all these movements online, like all these changes that are constantly being rolled out, constantly being rolled out, like under our noses that we're not even paying atten- attention to, but it's making all of this design like super unstable because it can't continue being supported throughout uh, these changes. Like you can't play a MIDI file on your computer anymore. And I remember when websites, they had like, you know, like you would have like a background song on a website and it would be a dot midi or dot mid or whatever. And now if I open one of those, like if I go to a website like that, first of all, it'll just download the file onto my computer. (laughs) And then when I open it, nothing on my computer can play it. I I guess if I drag it into something like GarageBand, I can play it, but like I can't just click on it and listen to it. Right. There's no consumer product that's based around playing MIDI files anymore. You have to convert it to an MP3. Right. And, but I think about all these things that were just like normal online that are, that are like, and maybe even cutting edge or like interesting, like probably play, getting a MIDI file to play on your website in 1998 was like so freaking cool. And now you, you can't even like access, like, I don't know. It's just so interesting to me that everything, all these changes are constantly happening. And the only things that stay consistent is the simplest stuff. And the human element to our point before, like the way people behave seems to be, you know, media, like changed based mm-hmm. on the medium, but the impulse to create and to like get attention on the internet seems to be largely the same. Oh yeah, for sure. When did you start working on keeping tabs and what was the the origin of that project? So I, when was my first episode? So basically Eternal, which is, um, it's a website that does like video streaming um, and they have a lot of original content as well as sort of other, other stuff that they are able to stream. But it's a, it's an alternative to sort of like your Netflix, your Hulu, your YouTube, like those sort of big platforms. And I really, I really, they reached out to me and I was familiar with some of the artists that were making content for the site. And I sort of took it as an opportunity to make something outside of, I mean, it's not outside of the scope of what I would normally make, but if I were to, I would never make something like that for YouTube, let's say, because usually what I'm making, I'm not like, I don't know. It's interesting because keeping tabs feels 
like I'm commenting on my art practice in some ways or I'm like talking mm. about my art practice like it's keeping tabs feels like I'm giving a talk versus like making a piece of art if that makes sense like it feels like the thing that you do after you've made the work and so for me it was fun because I wanted to do something that felt that could be unique and also something that would kind of uh, stimulate that like research muscle or that archive muscle of mine and also something that would challenge me to stop using the internet the way that I had been using it and I think that I mean one one thing that I always try and do is I try and surf the web because I think that it's become it's not something that people do anymore like people don't surf anymore people scroll and swipe mm -hmm. And all, a lot of our internet consumption is is concentrated on the phone or mobile devices and mobile devices. I mean, I'll say this the, time and time again, but like mobile phones is like what killed websites. And so I, it's me trying to make a concerted effort to get out of that mode of thinking and try and like, instead of going up and down, moving out laterally yeah. yeah and because i like getting lost online like it's fun to just sit down and like click <laughs> and it's also interesting i was so there was this i don't know if you're familiar with rhizome uh it does not ring a bell okay no. so they're like sort of affiliated with the new museum and they are kind of the like they kind of do a lot of stuff about our internet archives and they're really interested in like web-based art and digital art in general and they had this event a couple of years ago that was a web surfing competition and the idea was that you they would tell you a website to go to but you could only get there through clicking links like you couldn't search or like type something into the bar and it was really interesting to see because the websites that we spend all of our time on do everything in their power to keep you on that website. Yes. And yes. it was so interesting how difficult it actually was to get outside. I think the way, the way that most people won was using Twitter because I think they were able to like, I can't remember if you were able to use the Twitter search bar. I think maybe they were, but it was like most people were the most successful using Twitter. But I can't, like, if you use something like, I don't know, if you started on, like, Amazon or something, like, you would never <laughs> be able to leave Amazon or Facebook. Yeah, like, right. it's so interesting how much they want to lock you into their one platform. And all these all these platforms have huge monopolies. Like, I remember, and, and like, in some ways, I mean, I don't think that it's good that they have huge monopolies, but I think about when I was younger, I had, like, all of my websites that I went to. Like I had like my specific forum was on one website. And then if you were interested in something else and wanted to go to a different forum, you went to a different forum. And now everything's like nest nested in like Reddit, for example. And there's, right, yeah. there's not necessarily anything wrong with that. I mean, it's probably more functional, but it it's like less charming. And I probably just sound like an old person being like, oh, like back in my day, like, we used to go to like, we used to have like 20 different websites that we visited and now we visit three, but like, right. but, but like, what does it mean that they have corralled us all into like one strip mall? Like, what does that mean? And like, how does that color your life and like your worldview? So I just find it frustrating. And like, I'm just getting, it's just frustrating, I guess. Totally. Yeah. There's, there's two things that I think are both incredibly relevant to music culture here. Mm -hmm. One is the phone thing, because the reason that Spotify was able to get popular in America, because it you know originally launched in Sweden and mm. was available in Europe for a long time before it came to the US. And it came in, into America in like 2011. I was an early adopter, like I was really, really interested in it, but it didn't really gain a foothold until it was a mobile app. Right. And of so course. streaming, yeah, streaming really only works for the average person 
because it's taking space off of their phone that would have been all the songs they would have downloaded. Instead, they have this like instant access to everything through the phone. And so like, obviously pretty much everyone listening, I think is probably on the same page as the two of us is like, we're very anti music streaming at this point, but that same act of like moving the internet towards phone design and away from computer design has had like disastrous effects on the music industry. Yeah. Or very positive effects if you're a major label or right. run Spotify. Right. And it's so interesting because, yeah, it's just interesting too because we choose convenience over everything mm-hmm. over and over and over and over again. And and it's at the expense of a lot, but it's because it's super convenient. And I don't want to blame like consumers, obviously. Like I understand the appeal of something like Spotify. I mean, I had a Spotify account up until last year. And I guess like we just (laughs) were so addicted to constant access and like convenience that I don't think we always think about what the implications of that are. Right. What does it cost to remove friction from the web? Exactly. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to bring up is the loss of forums, I think, has actually vastly changed music culture on mm-hmm. the internet. Because when I was growing up, to your point, there would be this like cycle of different websites that I'd visit every day that were like music forums or like forums that were specifically about one band. And so they would have these like yeah. really tightly knit communities that would exist on each of those websites that would like grow their own very idiosyncratic taste. And some of them are still around, which is pretty cool. Like actually the more general purpose ones like Sputnik music and rate your music are still up. And I like, I'm so grateful that those sites still exist because it seems like the only places that I can go on the internet where there's like, it's like going to a, like a bar where the people are all rooting for one sports team. Yeah. You know, it's like going to like a Mets bar versus a Yankees bar or something like that. And there are these like distinct idiosyncratic cultures that exist there that when you then go to like Twitter groupthink sets in Mm -hmm. or you have these like incredibly argumentative and unproductive conversations because Twitter is basically like, what if you took all of those forums and plopped them into the same place and then had an algorithm that favored people fighting each other over anything else exactly and i and i think about also reddit like i spend a little bit of time i have a few things that i like little reddit threads that i follow or whatever but it's so like weirdly like incentivized like you get like awards and stuff and you get like (laughs) upvotes like there's all this weird like i don't know it just feels weird i guess to to it everything just is like you win a little by participating or something like likes and it's just interesting to apply that to a forum format and it's frustrating too it literalizes social capital in a way that i Mm -hmm. think is like bad for like digital community on the old forums like you would know who was smart by the quality of what they said right versus like they got the most likes Mm -hmm. it it, this sort of like false meritocratic thing settles in when you can actually see how many likes or retweets or what have you someone is getting yeah and it i i keep i think i keep thinking about band forums too because like it was probably so valuable I don't know. It was just probably so valuable to find people that liked the same music as you too. Cause like growing up, I think maybe as you get older, you no, actually, no, I don't know. I don't know. It's, (laughs) I mean, the only like groups of people that like the same music anymore that I can think of are like Ariana Grande fans or whatever. Like, do you know what I mean? Right. Stan culture. That's basically, and that's like the ultimate group think of like, basically like hive mind activity on the internet. It's so chaotic. It scares the shit out of me to be I'm impressed by it. And like when it, turns to good i'm like cool with it like when they start like bombing trump stuff on Mm -hmm. like that moment where like the k-pop stands just like annihilated all of the right-wing 
hashtags on Twitter was like beautiful to behold. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it's good at, it's good and bad. Obviously it's it's scary. I don't think that I've ever experienced anything like that before. Obviously I know that there's always been like that sort of culture around like super big pop stars, but it feel it felt less I guess I just was never privy to it. Uh, mm-hmm. in a real way like because it's not maybe you would only notice that if you were like at a concert or something but then I, I don't know it's it's really interesting how music consumption I don't even know like how do people even find like even like finding new music like part of my life online as a teenager was like did revolve around music and it's like how I learned about bands and like new music especially on like places like live journal or like blogs like so many blogs would like and like this isn't great either like obviously they would like post media fire links to records and stuff but but it was but I was still buying I was still buying music back then totally I don't this is not anymore you know yeah like I think streaming basically works as like guilt-free piracy exactly and it also takes but by doing that it takes the by taking the guilt and therefore the friction away you're actually less likely to spend money on music oh yeah like if you download something and you really enjoy it you might actually go buy the cd but that would never happen if you're streaming it because like why would you like your computer probably doesn't even have a cd drive like what's the value no more cd drives either yeah it's it's wild, or you have to be someone who's thing. Like, you can't be a casual consumer of music anymore. Like, you either have to be someone that's like, I'm committing to, like, having a record player and buying records, and mm-hmm. that's, my, like, part of my personality, to be honest. Like, right. you are you become a collector, and then, and that's it. And Or you can be someone that just listens to music on your phone and therefore you're going to stream it versus even downloading music or looking for new music online. You're just going to be like, oh, because you have everything at your, like, it's crazy to me that you can stream literally anything you want. I mean, there's like obviously exceptions, but like you have, it's just unheard of. Like even when you could download music, that was unheard of. Yeah. Like there would be limits, like at a certain point, you know, if you download enough, maybe the, the cops will knock on your door. Right. But, or your, you know, computer would just get fried from mm-hmm. having too many files. And you couldn't it fit it all. Yeah. It's yeah. just like there, there's like a physical limitation to what you could do. And now there's not. And I don't know that that no one needs that kind of access because no one actually uses the entirety of that access. Like no. no one is using Spotify to its fullest extent. Like you wouldn't have a life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I'm really glad that you brought up the idea of like curating an identity of being like a quote unquote music person. Right. Because I think this is something that I feel like you've said yourself in previous interviews. It's a big part of your work is the idea of like, curating a specific persona online and like representing yourself as a recreating your identity or creating a new identity Mm -hmm. online. I'm really curious to see if you've seen any changes in the way that that's worked over the last year since COVID has hit. Oh my God. It's been interesting. I mean, I think that people are tired. Like it was interesting when COVID first hit, I think everyone was really scrambling and they were like, oh, like we got to do a live stream. Like we all got to do live streams. We got to get an Instagram live every night. We got to plan events. We got to do this. We got to do that. It's really calmed down. It's gotten like much more manageable in terms of that. Um, In terms of persona, like I think people are starting to get tired of like the platforms that they are working within just because we're spending so much more time on them or it feels like we are because we're not, our lives aren't like, like, you know, I see the same, I've seen the same thing for like a year pretty much every day. Like I don't leave my neighborhood. So I think that in some ways people are getting 
frustrated with like the tools that they have at their disposal. And I think because of that, it's a lot of good things have come from it. Like I think that people are moving in directions of trying to, to DIY the internet again. I don't know if I'm like going off on a tangent about this, but I've seen, I just feel like the, there's been a greater like collective energy to like make the internet weird or like more fun in different ways like even eternal is like a good example of that like they probably launched like right around like during the pandemic and like i would say that that's like like i I feel like people are like opening up like alternative ways of being online that don't feel attached to maybe like themselves or their brand and that may not be necessarily Mm -hmm. true for everyone i'm speaking like for myself and like other people around me, but I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Like I still think people are using Instagram the same way. Like fundamentally, I don't think people are being any more, I mean, it's hard to say because if someone's vulnerable, vulnerable online, it's. That was a quote unquote, by the way, since this is an audio (laughs) (laughs) podcast. (laughs) If someone's vulnerable online, that it doesn't necessarily like it's still gonna read okay let me backtrack here you can put whatever you want onto the internet however you want to whether you are being as sincere as you want to be or as or as performative as you want to be people are going to look at whatever you're doing through their experience and their perspective and their feelings about you that they've already made up, which is fine. Like we all do that all day and there's nothing that you can do to, I mean, I'm sure there are things that you can do, but what I'm saying is like the way that you're going to be read online, like some people may see it as performative and some people may see it as sincere and there's no real way to really capture anything i guess is what i'm saying or like the internet is just already such a we're all like flexing our little personas online and we're all like that i mean Mm -hmm. i feel like we all know this too like it's not like it's not new like everyone knows that you know everyone always says like instagram is a highlight reel whatever and we all know that and maybe that's just boring now. Like, I don't know. I'm not looking for that. I guess I'm just not looking for that anymore. I'm looking for an escape versus like me needing to be seen by other people. And maybe I, and I think other people might be feeling the same way. Even thinking about like, like I just did my keeping tabs episode on Neopets, my last one. And the amount of people that I have have spoken to who started playing Neopets after I started talking about it and who are like, this is so fun. And because it's like, I think people are just looking for different uh, outlets that feel Mm -hmm. that could have community still, but Instagram doesn't feel like community. Twitter doesn't feel like community. Like none of these things feel good. Like, I don't know. I mean, you might find people that you have things in common with, but you're probably not you're not talking to each other about those things, I guess. Yeah, I, it, it kind of it's a person by person thing. I would I would guess, but I think that the way that those apps are designed does not incentivize community building. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of have to like deliberately work against the grain. Like I have like very specific rules for how I use Twitter, mm-hmm. which is that I only follow people that I know or have worked with, and like I don't retweet anything. And hmm. I don't share links to anything that I didn't make. Interesting. And this is to like force. Also, I don't, I also don't like anything on Twitter. I only have two <laughs> likes because they're the only two tweets that I actually like. Um, <laughs> and what that does is it forces me to actually talk to people on Twitter. Right. And instead of just being like, here is your social capital for funny thing that you said. It's just like, if I'm going to interact, I actually have to interact and like share my own thought and have a conversation instead of these sort of like blanket, non-engaged engagement. You know what I mean? I love, I love the idea of, and this, I like when people use the internet wrong, not wrong, (laughs) but I like when people circumvent like the way that 
things want you to use them. Um, and I think that that is something that more people should do. Like, I'm not going to, I mean, I use Twitter like pretty much the way that it's intended, but I think that that's a really cool way of doing it just because I don't, I don't know. I, I just think it's interesting because there's more than one way to use a platform, you know? And, but, right. but generally speaking there, we're being guided or herded into one, one way of doing it. But like the, the tools are there, which again is why I like a platform like Neopets, which is literally a children's website, but it's like open, like Twitter isn't open. Do you know what I mean? Even like right. most websites, yeah. most new websites are not open. Like they don't have various places that you can spend time, but they expect you to spend all your time there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so interesting. Like it's weird how those like almost anti-designed sites feel like you can actually create your own time there mm -hmm. in some respects. I don't know if that actually like makes sense, but compared to like a site that is designed to suck up your time, mm -hmm. the idea of like going to a place where like you get to determine how you want to spend your time is like definitely seems like utopian by comparison. Oh yeah. Um, do you feel like considering that things are moving more and more towards phone internet rather than computer internet that making the internet weird and more lateral is even possible on the phone version of that world? No, I mean, I think that, I think that if anyone is trying to design, I don't think so. Honestly, I don't. I mean, I, I wish that it could be, but I think that the phone is so tightly regulated and browsers are too, to be fair. But the iPhone, for example, which is what a lot of people have, is like so tightly regulated in terms of apps that you can make for it and whatnot. I mean, that's what killed Flash. And so, but I have seen like interesting things happening in like application form. Like I, I was in an art exhibit that was via a fake fitness app that you download onto your phone. And that's like the, mm -hmm. that's the show. And so like there are people doing like weird stuff with that but it's a lot more work and also if you're making a web-based work you do have to think about the fact that or a web-based thing that you want people to spend time on or interact with you do have to think about the fact that maybe when you share it people are going to start accessing it through their phone and they may never look at it again they may never if they don't have like their computer immediately in front of them or if they don't click that link via their computer, they'll probably never look at it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, if it can't exist on both, then it may not work out. It's the same way where like, if someone sends me a YouTube link via text, I will never look at it because I'm, <laughs> I don't want to watch YouTube on my phone. Does that make right. sense? But totally, yeah. So, but I mean, in general, I'm just like, whenever people send like things like that, it's just like, well, you don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't have like five minutes of my day to like listen to this song or like watch this music video or whatever. I would like to, but I just like, that's not like, but I think people have the same attitude about like web-based content like that because I mean, I even think about when, when I share links, like how many times does it get clicked or like, do people engage with like anything that I'm doing, which is why Again, I like YouTube because it's there and people can search for it or stumble upon it versus like me sharing a link on a different platform is like, well, we got three minutes where it's viable and then that's it, you know, like, and then it just gets buried, buried or whatever. And I think also we're just so, <sighs> it's just a convenience thing again. And it's also, I hope I think the only way that sort of like this DIY online renaissance can happen is if viewers or users or it's so weird that they're called we're called users, but consumers, whatever you want to say, you as a viewer of art or anything creative or anything like that, you have to put in like also the work, if that makes sense. Like I always think about like, 
like, yes, it, it makes, it takes me a long time to make something or it takes an artist or a musician or whoever a long time to do something. But if like no one on the other end is like willing to put in any of that work back, I mean, obviously not the same amount of work, but if no one's willing to like look at it or think about it or process it like in any sort of thoughtful way, then like, it's just, it's just unfortunate. And so I think like we as both artists and consumer need to be conscious of that and need to be like, okay, I'm going to like set aside this time to like engage with this thing. And we mm -hmm. don't do that in our current, the current way that we surf or that we view the internet isn't conducive to that thoughtful processing of content. Do you have any ways that you try to curate or cultivate that sort of thoughtful engagement with art on your own that maybe someone else could find helpful in their own life? Yeah, I think that whenever I see something that I'm interested in, like within the scroll, for example, well, first of all, I suggest surfing. That's my first way of thoughtful internet consumption. And I also think that whenever you're within the scroll, like actually stopping and reading something or making time for that thing is really helpful. Like for example, if someone's like, I'm doing a live stream or I'm doing a talk or an event or a screening or whatever, like stop what you're doing and immediately like add that to your calendar or like sign up for it or whatever it is, just so that you'll remember to do, like schedule it. Like the way that you would schedule a physical activity you know, like if you're going to go meet up with a friend to watch a movie or go to a, a concert or whatever it is, like you would schedule that and you would make time for it and you would get ready and you would go. I, the same thing I think applies to like things like that. And I don't do that nearly as much as I should, but I think that's important. And also like whenever I see something that I want to read or that I want to watch, I sort of make an effort to save it so that I can come back to it later. Like in the beginning of the pandemic, I was really, really good at that. Like I was watching so much video art. Like I was doing like, I was just reading and like watching a lot of art. And I think also another reason was because I was taking advantage of the fact that like no one could have shows anymore. So mm -hmm. everyone was putting all their stuff online. And I was like, oh my God, all this free content from these artists that like otherwise I wouldn't be able to access. And so I think realizing that that's actually valuable or precious and that like you should try and feel as if you're taking advantage of it and or like even thinking about I don't know just just making time for it I think is really important and even maybe even constructing some sort of schedule around it or whatever being like oh like I really want to learn about this artist so I'm going to spend this day like kind of reading about them and maybe like go down a little hole of like checking out their stuff or whatever is, is really helpful. What else do you have planned coming up? Like what's, what's up on the, the horizon for you? Oh, well, there will be more keeping tabs episodes. Um, and right now I'm finishing up a web-based work, like a time-based web-based art project that will be launching in March. So that's kind of the next big piece. It doesn't have a title yet, <laughs> but it, it has to do with, it kind of has to do with a lot with what we've been talking about, but it's sort of about the cyclical nature. Actually, it has a lot to do with what we were talking about with text, mm -hmm. the reduction okay. of text. So it's sort of a, the cyclical nature of the, the website and uh, it kind of starts off as an abandoned lot slash website and then eventually ends in what and then becomes a beautiful garden and then ends in like a shopping page if that <laughs> makes sense so yeah. uh but it's all time-based so it'll be uh changing uh over the i think the it'll be changing over like a month period so it'll look different when it's at the beginning of the month versus the end of the month Awesome. I can't wait to check that out. Cool. Um, and also, I, I can't wait to keep up keeping up with uh, your tabs. Cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for hopping on the podcast. Yeah, today. thanks for having fun. me. Absolutely. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. 
Thank you again for listening. And thank you, Amalia, for joining me. You can find her work at mollysoda.exposed. And you can watch Keeping Tabs on eternal.tv. If you liked this episode, please give the podcast a good rating and review. Or more importantly, send it to a friend who you think might find it interesting. If you'd like to share your thoughts with me directly, feel free to email me at lamniformsband at gmail.com. Also, I should have news about a new Lamniforms album dropping soon, uh, so check out my Bandcamp or social media for up-to-date information. Until next time.